Friends, if I may have your attention. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Jack O'Brien and the Wieners. I feel the need for oh. Let's just get down to it. Jacksonville's First Coast Honda dealers proudly present the following. High Flyin' with Jack O'Brien and the Wiener. Today's show is brought to you by the Casa Marina Hotel and Restaurant in Jacksonville Beach. By Hardball Creative. By Angie Subs. By Aircraft General Supply. By Victor's Payless. By Kuhn Flowers. By Ascent Aviation, the official flight training sponsor of the High Fly-In Show. And now, live from the 1010XL High Fly-In Studios, here's the host of the High Fly-In Show, Jack O'Brien. And the wiener. The wiener has spoken. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the High Fly-In Show. I am Jack O'Brien, and this is the, I guess, the 10th year of the High Flying Show going into business and uh, it's good to have everybody here in this room again, starting with my former naval aviator, golfing buddy, and commercial airline pilot for Northwest Airlines, Garfield Benson. Good morning, Gar. Morning, Jack. Once again, nice to be in the studio uh, with you guys with all this expertise in aviation. It's really uh, uh, quite humbling. Well, it's good to have you here, Bar- uh, Gar, when you're in town. I guess you're going to be heading back to Minnesota soon, so it's good not, to have you here during the winter not months. Not till May. Yes. Next to uh, Mr. Garfield Benson is former air traffic controller. I guess you spent over 30 years doing that. Now he's a commercial pilot and a certified flight instructor, Robert Cam, K-A-M-M. Good morning, sir. Not humbled at all. Good to have you here, Bob. Uh, you weren't here last month. We were making all kind of fun of you last I month. I understand we were taking roll today, so present. Well, good. <laughs> good to see you again. We we weren't sure you were coming today. and, and, and well, next I was sure. Uh, you, but Bill, now that's the voice of Bill Stull. Bill is a one-eyed pilot, a commercial pilot in his own right. Biologically, and, that's not true, but whatever. Okay, well, I'm just kind of making fun of you, too, but also a very good pilot. He was... In uh, training, just uh, concurrent when I was. Uh, is that plugged in there, Bob? Uh, that little headset jack there? Yeah. Are you Try just, not to be distracted. Are you just listening? Yeah. No, no, with, no. There are two jacks over here. This is the microphone jack. No, I'm jack, jack and that's a microphone jack. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. anyway, that's, a, that's a lip mic jack. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Stull, good to see you, Bill. Good to see you, sir. What have you been doing lately? You've been flying a little bit here a now? A little bit here and there. Flew yeah. yesterday, flew the day before that, flew three days before that, flew the day after that, flew yesterday, flew today, flew yesterday. Now, see, <laughs> interestingly enough, last month when he was here, he hadn't flown for like 10 days. No, I mean, well, it was, see, a, rough, then, it was see, a rough 11 then he days. he looked at me sideways. Yes, one eye. I remember. And he wanted to be on the schedule the rest of the week, so he is. So you gave him some work. Yeah, he went yeah. and picked me up yesterday. I had to take an airplane to Pompano Beach for maintenance, and he flew down to pick me up and bring me home last night. And so, Joe, that's the voice of Joel Weiner. Joel is my co-host and former instructor. He taught Jack everything he knows in the world of aviation, or virtually everything I know. And you've been doing a lot of flying. You went to Pompano yesterday, yeah. and you just bought a new airplane. I did. I bought a Piper Seminole through multi-engine training. Uh, yeah. We put it online. The first job was yesterday. A gentleman rented it from the Navy Flying Club and flew it to Savannah for some cross-country time. Yeah. And it's in the hangar, ready to go. It's full of gas. Come on down. Now, do you go with him on that, or do you, do you just let him have the airplane? He is uh, certified in the airplane and has 10 hours in type, yeah. and that's my insurance requirements. Yeah. So other than that, Beach Banners business, which is the the advertising highway in the sky Joel Weiner owns and, and operates, uh, how's business in the Beach Banner world? Banners is good. We did a, um, a 
uh, It's a Boy banner yesterday. Did a little reveal party over St. Augustine down at the inlet. Yeah. And uh, that went real well. The weather was good. Um, we did some for the playoffs, as you all saw us last week. And we're getting ready to do some for the Daytona 500 here shortly. What are you going to be doing for the Daytona 500? I What's can't tell you my customers and what we're I'm doing. I'm not asking you to spill the beans. I'm just asking We're going to fly some banners for the oh, Daytona okay. 500. So that's what Beach Banners does. <laughs> Jack, they pull these banners behind the airplane, you know, and they have sayings on them. It's a boy. You, you, you on board with that? Yeah, I know all about it. I oh, just was trying to get right. him to, yeah. trying now, to plug his business. That's I got, what I'm trying to do. I got a do. question for you. Fire away, you, you and I have known each other for over 10 years. What yeah. year did you solo? Hmm. 2014. All right. You got your license in? 2014, something like that. Okay. June 5th, because I remember it took me 11 times. <laughs> to, and it was no fault of mine. Well, somewhat. We, yeah, I remember. We can go back and redo that story. but <laughs> We yeah. really don't need to talk about that. <laughs> But why do you ask? I just we we've been doing this for a while, and I'm just trying to backlog what we did and how we got started. One of the greatest days of a new pilot is the first time they solo. And Bob, you're you trained some guys now, and and how many more have you put up in the air for their first time? A uh, couple. Yeah. Yeah. And it, did it go well both times? Well, I would not be a con- certified instructor if they didn't, because you know that's a bad thing. Well, it's got to be a tough decision for a CFI to make when when they're almost ready or not sure or, or what have you about putting a, a student pilot in the air alone. Way more responsibility or thought goes into that decision than, say, when you're training somebody in air traffic and you say, I think he's ready to go work on his own. <laughs> way big difference. I mean, way, way, way big difference. Harder or easier? Oh, harder. Yeah, when you got a student and you're evaluating whether or not they can take that airplane up and not crash, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And so you try to put them through a certain number of uh, maneuvers to make sure that they don't screw up. In air traffic, you just plug in with them, and then at some point you you look like a Vegas dealer, and you go, I'm out, and, and off they go. So it's a it's a big difference, yeah. A lot more, lot more goes into it. I was way surprised about that. And you know what? Actually, as a student pilot flying the plane, once you're in the air, is, is kind of relatively easy. I'm not saying it's an e- super easy, but getting the plane up in the air and bringing it back down to the ground, two entirely different things, especially when you've got a rookie pilot, a young pilot, vi- visual flight rules pilot, who gets him or herself into trouble by going up at times, whether it's a, a, a um, they're undecided about whether they should be going up or not, and they end up flying into low-hanging clouds, and obviously the first course of action when a young pilot who's not instrument trained or not instrument rated uh, has to uh, make a quick decision. It could affect whether they live or die. And uh, turning around is the number one thing to do, right? Yeah. I mean, that's it. If you can. We've talked to several guys over the years uh, working where they got caught on top of the clouds and could not get down below them. Yeah. And that is... um, Wow, that's a big one. Well, I recall one of my early flights. I went over as a cross country to Lake City. It was early Sunday morning. There was no you know, Lake City's uh, unattended in, on Sunday morning, and so the place was mine basically. And I got there and I turned around to come back in Joel's plane. And uh, as I'm flying back, I'm seeing the clouds coming down. I'm at fifteen hundred feet, and I'm I'm having to go lower. Uh, and I'm going and saying to myself, I'm too young to be doing this kind of flying to start getting stressed <laughs> out. Uh, so I boogied back to Craig Field as quickly as I could. Uh, but it can be a, a very nightmarish situation for young pilots who are not instrument trained. It is. And in, in this area, in the springtime, you get the sea fog rolls in in the evening. And you want to make sure you're on the ground before it rolls in because you're going somewhere else. Yeah. 
One well, of the hardest things from a controller perspective is teaching some student pilot who's obviously distressed to go through clouds without crashing. And that is something that's very, very, very challenging to do. Well, I don't think that the uh, VFR pilots have enough uh, time with the hood on. They call it the hood, which is more or less just a, uh, a covering over your eyes uh, that don't allow you to see outside the airplane, at least that's theoretically that's we all cheat on that sometimes a little bit when we got the the foggles on but the um the fact is is that 10 hours isn't enough three it's three hours. it's three mm-hmm. sorry uh i thought it was 10 and i don't recall but three is nowhere near enough to have the experience one needs to get out of trouble if they're alone like that i will tell you that one of the things i told joel when we first started training was the amount of information they bombard at you as a student pilot regarding decision making and looking and evaluating. So during your check ride, the examiner is always trying to figure out what decisions are you going to make in a certain situation, you know, what's the criteria? So that you don't get yourself caught in these weather situations because that's one of the biggest things. I was very surprised about that. Have and, you ever you know, been caught in a situation that uh, you did not expect? Close. My second solo, I went up, uh, it was summertime, and uh, I looked at the TAF. I knew there were thunderstorms out west of Cecil near McClenny. And um, I said, I'm going to go up for an hour and do maneuvers. And when I got the plane out and went out to the beach to do my maneuvers, all of a sudden I noticed that the layer of clouds had kind of started to develop below me and turned right back around and landed at Craig. When I landed and put the airplane in the hangar, we were, it was 800 foot ceilings. And I was, oh my gosh, I, almost, I got away with that one. Wise so. move coming back. What about yeah. you, Bill? Have you, have you had any, any instances where you were stressed out with weather situations that occurred like almost instantaneously? Similar to Bob's situation, shortly after I got my private certificate, I went to uh, go take a friend of mine up for a little while. I'm going to just exercise an airplane for like an hour and a half, but we made it about 20 minutes away from the airport before I got the uh, brilliant idea to turn around and come back. Yeah. The situation was worsening. This was long before you were instrument rated, I presume. Yes. Yes. All right. A couple of things I want to run up your flagpole this morning. The FAA made some changes. They've confirmed that, uh, and I wanted to ask you guys about that, they have stripped most of the data from charts that overlap on foreign airspace. Uh, In the December 29th sectional release one month ago, any areas outside U.S. borders are essentially grayed out and have only the barest aeronautical information. And before that, and I think you guys all know, they included all the same information in foreign airspace as they did here in the United States. Um, they, uh, let's see here. It's a, what is that you're showing me there? That's the sectional. That's the great uh, out uh, in Canada. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll right. explain what Explain what to me about. what's going on. All right, so Jeppesen and uh, Garmin and Boeing all own all this stuff. So they only give you what you subscribe for. So on what, what Bob's showing you there is we subscribe from North America, South America, and the Caribbean. So if you subscribe to those three, you get them. Okay. But if you only subscribe to the United States, they aren't going to give you Canada, Mexico, and the Caribbean. What's the FAA got to do with that? I, I'm just telling you what it has to do with what you subscribe to. Yeah. Now, I mean, doesn't the FAA provide some charts that are not commercially made, like with Jefferson or what do have you? The de- uh, de- Department of Defense charts, and I've, I haven't used those since I bought into the su- subscriptions 10 years okay, ago. Okay, and also on this, uh, your iPhone, when you have the ch- charts on the iPhone. Right, and that's, I can understand. That's, you, you subscribe to those. I understand. And that's Garmin. And then I can see how they can uh, delete 
the or international stuff off the site or anything yeah, that you don't subscribe when, to. When but you, but you, the information is still there. It's all there. If you, if you pay if for you, it. If you pay for it. Gotcha. But again, the F, and, and let's see here what it say here about this. I mean, one other note. Um, the agency, the FAA, said it conducted two years of outreach on these changes before issuing this notice. This was uh, pre-notified on October 13th. I must have missed that email. Yeah, well, you must have. Anyway, that's uh, that's going on, but t- t- no impact on you whatsoever. No. no. Okay. Joel, when was the last time you uh, went flying and you had an old airways chart with you? More than 10 years ago. Probably when I was teaching Jack how to fly because I <laughs> – when I'm teaching somebody, I make them do it on paper. Yep. Because the battery goes dead in your iPad, you need to know where you are. I didn't even have an iPad. So I just I remember the first time I got lost, and I said, "Where the heck am I?" And I was out on a cross country from here, and I said, "Well, there's a water tower over there." So I circled down, read the side of the water tower, what name was on sure. it. It was Sylvester, Georgia. Well, then I knew where I was. Yeah. So I turned southeast and came home. Well, you know, um, with those charts, aeronautical charts, what happens if your iPad? Uh, all of a sudden goes in the in the toilet, and you're flying. Well, you have, you, well, you're supposed to have a backup. So when I fly, I have an iPad and an iPhone. They are they are both have the data. Oh, it on is required. It, it is required have a, to have a backup. backup. Okay, see, and, this is way before then, my, after my time. I also carry the. They have a big book of sectionals. Yep. So if I'm going on a trip, on a long trip, I'll take the book and slide it in the back seat of the airplane. So I have a sectional book. Okay, you're talking about approach plates. No. The VFR chart. Oh, the of, VFR of, chart of the, okay. of the country. Right, I got you. I've never seen him do that. I think he's lying. Uh, well, the charts are in the office. You know that bookshelf with all the yeah, stuff. Yeah, 1965 charts. Well, don't date yourself. I'm just saying. It's actually 1994. I, the, I'm the only one looking at those books in there because I'm studying for my instrument stuff. Well, yeah, and you know one of the hardest things I think for a new pilot is learning how to read those aeronautical charts. And and I got uh, hit a couple of times in my exam by. Um, the, the uh, certified flight examiner who who uh, was pretty upset that I didn't know what a restricted area looked like. And uh, that was bad on my part, but he didn't fail me because of that. Was that the seventh or eighth time you It was the that? first time, sir. <laughs> the first time. That's why you had to go back. Well, we, we prevent that from happening now by grilling our students um, just un- mercilessly prior to their check And, and we, are dr- we are drilling Bob as we speak. His check ride is on the 11th of February. Check ride of what? Uh, being an instrument instructor, so oh, regular, oh, okay. just a regular okay. instructor right. now. So, so you certify. You can only teach VFR right Correct. now. I, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought once you're a CFI, you're no, a CFI. No, no, no. and then no. two weeks after that, he's going to do his multi-engine. CFI. He's he's working me hard. It's yeah. not good. Is is Joel your instructor on all this? I I'm not, I cannot say that. I cannot well, verify I, that. No. Oh, all right. Well, yeah, of course he is. Hey, uh, next month, February the 12th, we'll be back here with the High Flying Show, and there's a gentleman by the name of Ryan Smith, who is the uh, president of the new FBO operation at Craig Field. He's going to join us next uh, month. Um, what uh, What's going on out there at Craig Field? Can you share a little bit of information on, on what their acquisition their, entails? Their, their previous um, FBO was Craig Air Center. Yeah. Um, there was about a year and a half negotiation of price. Um, the gentleman that owned it wanted to retire and move to a different company. Um, he owns a charter company, and he's moved on to do that out of Jackson International. Um, and they bought the lease, um, and I don't remember the terms, from the airport authority. They have renamed the FBO Jack's Jet Center. It's Jet Center, yes. Yes, the Jet Center yeah. at exec- Jack's Executive. Yeah. Um, they've got great plans. I saw their plans for updating the lobby 
and some new tie down spots and some new apron for jets to park and they build the new hangers too they are in the proposal to build 14 hangers right now we're just waiting on permitting yeah. from the city and then they as soon as they're up we're going to look at some more as i tell you one thing you build 14 new hangers you'll fill them up real quick they're already they'll be full today they the waiting get list the, uh, yeah the, uh, well, we look forward to meeting Mr. Smith and, and talking to him about the new FBO out there at uh, Craig Field. What would be his background, Joel? Is he a runner of a um, small operation like you uh, previously and he fleets up, or how does he? Smith is a young guy just out of college. Um, he's got four partners, I believe, four or five partners. Some of them um, are in aviation, some are in the charter business. Um, and then uh, the general manager, Blake, he's in the. Um, well, does he know what he's doing at that age? He's got lots of help. Okay, okay. Gar, let me ask you a question. When you look at somebody, are they older or younger than you? Everybody's younger <laughs> than Okay, I. so when Joel says the guy's straight out of college, he's probably been out of college several years, but for Joel, everybody is just out of diapers. Okay, gotcha. Okay, yeah. so well, he's, he's an old he's, man, too. He, well, he's got some experience, obviously. But, yeah, you know, he's, um, like, I like his ideas, and he, he'd like to promote you know, his brand. And, and if you go back in the high-flying show, you hear Joel or uh, Jack blew the check ride three times. It's now eight. In two more years, it's going to be I blew the thirtieth check ride on my private pod. I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. All right, I didn't it blow any check ride. I was just it was you, just an, in unique situations. Well, you have a lot of unique situations going. I'm going to tell you right now, so, <laughs> Mr. Cam. You sound really stressed out. You know, I could. I could. Many no, he's years, agitated. Last, last many years, Jack has been quite consistent with his story of ten failed attempts. That's right. And, and a, on the eleventh passing. That's right. I mean, Correct. and that's that's been documented quite. Uh, Quite well here for the last. But what is say? Let's, let's at the, the definition of failed. He didn't actually fail no. a check ride. No, no, no. no, I said a failed attempt. Attempts. That's he wasn't out there to get it done. The weather was attempt. bad, so that was one. Plane was broke down. Time, down. And this is why Bill is Jack's teacher's pet because he completely defends him every time, and I'm over it. I like it. I need All right, this is the High Flying Show. I'm Jack O'Brien with Garfield Benson, Bob Cam, Bill Stull, and Joel Weiner. It is 18 minutes after 9 o'clock. Thanks to the First Coast Honda Dealers. Once again, our title sponsor will return to the High Flying Show right after these words. And we are back to the High Flying Show. And a very good morning, everybody. And uh, sorry for my hoarseness today, but I officiated my first wedding last Saturday night, a week ago yesterday. And uh, it was out in the rain and misty and cold. And I was um, successful in doing the wedding, but I was uh, known after that as Mr. Blubberer. Uh, My son was getting married, and as he's standing there waiting for the bride to come down the aisle, uh, this is a huge wedding now, guys. There are like a couple of hundred people there, and everyone's dressed to the nines. And my son looks at me and goes, Dad, Dad, you, you, got, a, you got a handkerchief? I said, uh, what's the matter, son? Well, I, I just need a handkerchief. Well, I'm as well. I, I'm a very emotional guy, and, and um, chick flick movies get me crying all the time anyway. But uh, uh, So he and I are both blubbering during the entire ceremony while I'm marrying them. Have you... Uh, can you imagine me marrying well, Jack, you? Jack, you're multi, you're, you are multifaceted. You can cry and put on a wedding, have them give their vows, 
and wipe your nose and pass handkerchiefs all at one time. Yes, I can. And, you know, I've never cried when I emceed a wet T-shirt contest. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Hey, Jack, can we start the opening of the show again and call you the pastor of the high-flying show? Oh, the minister of the airwaves. That's right. Minister of the airwaves. That's good. I'm about to officiate this and start crying babbly when Joe Gar opens his mouth. Well, wait a second. You need to do is hire yourself out and uh, enhance your ability to give this uh, – these these vows and go ahead and uh, get yourself out of the uh, and advertise. Well, now yourself. that I'm experienced at it, I've, I've in fact, a couple people came to me at the wedding after fa- after the fact at the uh, reception and said, "Hey, uh, maybe you could do our wedding." Well, there's some. I said, maybe I can. Yeah, well, hey, I bet some more some more bucks in your pocket. No, nah, I wouldn't charge them. That's you know, I I don't do it for money. I do it for you know to meet all the young girls. <laughs> oh, God. I'm you know just want to meet the young girls. I just want to. Eyeball the young you girls. Know, you're going to creep me a little bit. <laughs> and just remember, Jack, you're old and every girl looks like they just got out of diapers. So keep well, that in mind. You should right? see a picture of my wife. She looks like she's 30 years old. Well, then what are and, we talking you know, about? So here? I don't have to, you know, I don't go outside my circle of, of comfort. But at the same time, I do like to, uh, I do like to uh, take a look here and there and see what's, what's out there for all the young men to look at. You know, well, it, I I'll, am, I'll see if we can open our sponsorship. Like up for it's next called year. research. Like our guy in the other room, Rob Mosio. He's he's thirty seven years old, never been married. We need to uh, we need to invite him to some weddings. That's a great place to uh, meet women. Yes, our, our engineer's thirty seven. That's how old you are. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thirty seven years old. Well, obviously, according to Joel, he just got out of college. Yeah, yeah right. He looks like he's twenty five, doesn't he? I'll take it. I'll the High Flying Show uh, thanks Kuhn Flowers. They're back again as our sponsor this year. If uh, you need flowers in any event for a floral arrangement to a simple, uh, um, let's see, you can have floral arrangements, tabletop coverings, uh, weddings, just like we just had last weekend, or, hey, Valentine's Day is coming up. My anniversary. So, uh, and your anniversary. So you guys make sure you, you do business with the boys at Kuhn Flowers. And uh, they are a, an exceptionally successful company. They've been around over 75 years here in Jacksonville. So the next time you need floral arrangements, call on Kuhn Flowers. Also, a quick thanks to Victor's Payless. I know some people have taken my advice and have gone to Victor's after they went and tried to shop the big box furniture store. They can find a, a much better arrangement financially at Victor's Payless. You'll find them on the west side, V-I-K. T-O-R-S, Victor's Payless. All right? I think they'll pay for that. All right. Also, let me uh, talk to Gar a minute about what just happened in this this plane ride to Auckland. Uh, let me pull this up here, Guy uh, Gar. Um, <laughs> well, it's pretty fresh in my memory. Yeah, this. yeah. lay it on me here. Yeah, well, this uh, Emirates aircraft takes off for Auckland. It's a 13-hour flight. And uh, a lot of things transpired for thir- in 13 hours while you're in the air. Well, there was no problems whatsoever when they took off. However, they're having construction down at the Auckland International Airport. And sometime during that flight, was probably before halfway, um, they got inundated by a bunch of water and they had to close down the international terminal terminal because of being wet and having all this water in the terminal. So here's Emirates tooling along somewhere, uh, I don't know, maybe over the, uh, South America, somewhere, wherever, I have no idea where they were. And they decide, well, I think we ought to go back to, uh, Dubai. So they turn around and they, uh, have a 13 hour flight, uh, out and back. It's called a out and back. 
you don't get to land uh, somewhere else. You land at the same airport you took off from. Return to base. Now, return what to base. Not yeah. across country. What about one. the fuel there, Gar? I mean, uh, isn't there, uh, at one point, isn't there concern about having enough fuel? Absolutely, there certainly is. But if they were at a halfway point, they had to go enough fuel to get to Auckland, so right. sometime they, they would be able to turn back, except for one thing, it was winds. If they had... Uh, Bad winds in their head, then they have to uh, go ahead and uh, drop in somewhere and get some gas. But that wasn't the problem. They did get back, and they uh, spent the night in uh, the Emirates, uh, put them up in the hotels. Next day, that flight took off for Auckland as well as another one. The FAA has proposed civil penalty fines totaling over $130,000 against Puerto Puerto Rico-based carrier, I don't know how to pronounce this, Vikas, Vikas Airlink allegedly conducting revenue flights crewed by unqualified pilots. Whoa, that's scary, isn't it? Eleven flights between July and August last year they operated uh, with um, uh, between Puerto Rico and Calabria. Uh, that ain't a good idea. No, that's no. not good. <laughs> Three not good. people and 53 dogs survived a snowy golf course crash that happened recently in Milwaukee. Uh, the dogs were in danger of being euthanized and were being flown from Louisiana to Wisconsin for adoption. All 56 occupants, that's three people, and 53 dogs all survived. British Airways is now allowing their male pilots to wear makeup, paint their nails, and carry handbags. Uh, Meanwhile, their female pilots will be asked to assist in the application of selecting the proper handbags and nail color. Well, how about putting the makeup on? Would they need help with that? (laughs) What is this world coming to? I just don't get it. I think Sir Richard actually dressed up like one when he announced that. I think I saw a little YouTube skip. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Richard's a little out there. Did he have a garter belt on and hose and high heels? Probably. Oh, Oh, my gosh, yeah. Well, this this dovetails into Gar's early part of his career when he was flying over in Singapore and he would come back late at night dressed in... Drag up and everything. Oh else. no! I, in Singapore, that's for. Bo- well, I'm just saying. I don't know. Bo- I'm just throwing. Now in Bangkok, that's uh, why. You're, I'm just. I'm just in, <laughs> you you're gonna see a lot of that in Bangkok, but not in Singapore. Gars, yeah, I'm not gonna go there. You don't, oh, I already you, did, but never mind. Let's just go. Keep going, Jack. Japan going. has extended their participation in the International Space Station. Now, the United States pledged last month to keep the ISS operational through 2030. That's a pretty old space station. Uh, the, the, the partners, as you may or may not know, are Russia, Canada, Japan, and the 11-nation European Space Agency. Japan is the first to say, yeah, we're in through 2030. And just so you know, China will not be allowed to participate. Of course, they don't want to. They've just created their own space station. Yeah, they got their own. Yeah, they got their own. A a bright green comet will make a once-in-a-lifetime trip past Earth. In fact, we may be able to see that tomorrow. Um, January 30th or 31st, uh, it'll be in the uh, southern hemisphere in February, but in the northern hemisphere in the next couple of days. Now, this will be the only time, from what I've just read, you'll be able to see this the last time this comet buzzed by Earth 50-so million miles away was 50,000 years ago. So I don't think any of us were around at that point to um, to see the comet other than oh, Gar. Nice, nice, nice shot, Gar was Bob. a twinkle. <laughs> nice <laughs> they, shot, Bob. They had a close call at the, at JFK. Uh, Gar, the, um, the crew of a Delta 737 
had to reject the takeoff. They were going to, uh, they were just taking off 104 knots when an American 777 crossed the runway in front of them. Yeah, it, it was a, a tragic thing. It could have been more tragic, yeah, of course. But, uh, you know, you're talking about in a, in a high performance uh, jet from. Boeing Airlines, uh, at 104 knots, you're going to be you're able moving, to... You're moving a lot of weight. You're moving they, a lot the, of weight. The guys but, did but okay, really good. 104 knots is not that big a deal to stop unless he's right in front of you. He had and plenty of... He, he was 1,000 feet it, short when he stopped the coast. Uh, but the, it could have been a lot worse. The crew did really good on yes, that. Yes, they did. Absolutely. Well, and it was an ATC guy. That's, that's right. So that's there's right. two pieces of things going on in air traffic that people need to be aware of. One is the controller, you're looking out the window and seeing it. And the other is a piece of equipment called ASDX, which is Airport Surveillance uh, Detection Equipment. Yeah. It's a basically a radar that's focused on the ground that they have a display in the tower that they can actually see aircraft moving really good at when there's a lot of fog and these kind of things. That will alarm as well when somebody in goes across into a runway. That alarm will go off as well as the controller seeing it. So you have a couple things backstopping you there when a pilot doesn't really go where he's supposed to go, obviously. Okay, we understand that. But what about the controllers? At that point in time, was one aircraft on the tower because he was clear to take off? He'd be on tower. Would the other aircraft still be on ground? Because, Correct. Yeah, and it wouldn't happened. matter because SDX doesn't know this. So it just immediately But, but wait a second. Why did it happen? We still haven't heard that. Because the they control- haven't come out and said what has happened. Okay, so one of the things that I teach and that everybody does, and it's is brief your taxi route, especially in big airports like JFK, where you go taxi via Alpha, Delta, Charlie, da, 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 the whole, and you and me would sit there with the airport diagram and go, okay, we're going here to here to here to here to here. That did not obviously happen because the controller, the pilots obviously made the, missed the turn and they go on to the runway. Now, if you go out there, next time everybody flies a commercial jet and you're getting toward the runway, you're going to see these big red squares with numbers on them indicating that you're getting ready to go onto a runway environment. And you got to cross-check to make sure that those numbers match what you're supposed to be seeing. Okay, that didn't happen so either. what happened, the aircraft that crossed the runway correct. that caused the uh, reject? Absolutely correct. He was... Oh, not in the right place? Correct. Okay, they've determined that. That is correct. He ha- was not cleared to the runway. That like is correct. Yep, he missed the turn. He was he supposed did. to turn right. He kept going straight. He goes across the okay. runway, and that's where we have the situation. Well, I, I've been in one a very, very close call on a takeoff when a DC-10 pulled right across in front of us, and we were in a DC-10. It was snowing, blowing in the nighttime at uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul, and uh, we missed them by 15 feet. We went over them. We rotated to start of the climb. And uh, I estimate it was uh, 50 feet, but when they took the flight recorders out, it was 15 feet that we missed that guy by. And There's a lot been- of safety equipment going on right now. Obviously, you can't control that, but this, this was a good thing on air traffic. This is a good thing on piece of equipment and a great job by the Delta pilots to woe the horses. Well, absolutely. you got to put the brakes on, get the reverses going, the speed brakes out, and reject the takeoff, and we're trained to do that. On most check rides, we're giving one of those, we're giving one of those uh, scenarios, and we have to perform. Yeah. 9.33, this is the High Flying Show. Jack O'Brien with Joel Weiner, Garfield Benson, Bob Cam, and Bill Stull. John Nafak from ASEN Aviation isn't here this morning, but we'll be talking to uh, you new pilots about some tips on how to do better landings when we return here on the High Flying Show after these words. Now let's return to the High Flying Show with Jack O'Brien and the Weiner. Brought to you by your First Coast Honda dealers. High flying with Jack O'Brien and the Wiener. 
and the wiener. When'd you get that name, Eddie? You've been called yeah, the wiener all your life. I'm born with the wiener. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you guys know what a weenus is? Does that rhyme with the P word? No, it does not. A weenus. <laughs> I th- that's the only reason I thought of it was Joel Weiner. It's a business report. There's a little pocket of skin underneath your elbow, and you can you can pinch. <laughs> <laughs> you can pinch this as hard as you want, and it will never hurt. It's called the weenus. Is this what you did during the officiating of the wedding? Is go? <laughs> I don't have a lot on my plate. Do you plan to hold the weenus? And- <laughs> I don't have much going on, guys. I, you know, I just sometimes think of yeah, stuff like that. There's some useless re- knowledge you know that really doesn't need to be announced. All right, we've got some listener letters here. I wanted to run this first one. In fact, this was in last month, and I forgot to ask Gar. Be brief, please, because i got a few of these. Explain the difference, Gar, between a hub and spoke system and a point-to-point system used by airline companies. Okay, hub and spoke brings aircraft in to one central portion, and it's called the hub. And then they go ahead and change people and everything, and then they send them out to all these other places. It's it's very, very good for exchanging people and moving people from A to B. But the... the, uh, Point-to-point system is they go from A to B to C to D, and they drop people off and put people on. Southwest has been very successful at that because they keep their aircraft in the air longer and have more revenue because they've got about 20 to 30 minutes on the ground. People are getting off. Their, their uh, cleaners are coming on right after them, and they load the people right back up and go. So it's very, very – it's expeditious. 42 minutes. Whatever it is he just said, uh, I, I really did kind of get that, and one of our, uh, our our listeners asked me to ask you that. Now, Joel, this is for you. ATC gave uh, this pilot a phone number to call to cancel his IFR. That stands for Instrument Flight Rules. His cancel his IFR flight plan, but he says he was busy descending on the approach. He landed before he realized he didn't write down the number and he couldn't reach them on the ground. He ended up canceling through flight service. Is there a way to get around that? The, that's, if you get on the ground, there is a number, flight service phone number. If you take his number down, it saves the middleman because you're calling direct to what, uh, if you land at Herlong, you're calling directly to Jack's approach. Yeah. The 7441 phone number. Yeah. If you call flight service, you're going to Virginia, he's got to relay back. It takes longer. You tie up the airplane system more. Ah. Now, there is one other way. You can call another airplane in the air on the same frequency and say, hey, this is so-and-so. Can you relay it to Jackson International to cancel my flight plan? Does that happen? I do it in the Bahamas every week. Oh, do you? Because yeah. once you get below 7,000 feet in the Bahamas, you can't get anybody. So Why not? Because there's no you're 200 miles offshore. And oh. that's the most expeditious way to do it also, as Joseph, as Joel described, because right. you're talking one-to-one, and then it's, it's done. You're it's, off the it's hook. It's done immediately. Um, going into here locally, St. Simons Island is that way. Cause there's no ground. You can't talk to anybody on the ground. Right. So you need to relay up. And when it's IFR there, you got to call on your telephone to get the clearance through Jack's center. Wouldn't an instrument rated pilot know this without having to ask this question? Not everybody is trained in that environment. Yeah. And the flight schools, they don't offer that type of training. They have set cross country routes that they do. Um, and then whenever somebody comes to work for me, I take them under my belt. And it's gotten better. It, yes, I will say it has, it's gotten a lot better yeah. because now software will give you phone numbers. You can look at airport require, uh, comments and of course information that each airport has them. Some now they're starting to put phone numbers in of the air traffic facility. You can right. Call right. So right whenever you go into your Garmin app or your four flight app on your phone and you look at the airport, it'll say this number is 
Oh, your departure. Here's a perfect example. What you're talking about, Jack, is during the concourse to Elegant St. Bernardina. Right. The lot of corporate jets flying in and out of there, big time. Well, when a jet would go in there and he didn't cancel his services with us, we'd have to tie up the airport for a minimum of 30 minutes or until he calls. So 30 minutes go by, other jets are trying to get in. We're like, sorry, you have to wait, or they'd have to divert somewhere else until that pilot calls and said, hey, I'm on the ground. Well, well explain the that. reason for that, and that is because if a guy is Nordo, in other words, he doesn't have a radio and he can't do anything in the air or talk to anybody, you have to open up that airspace so he can be, uh, I'll go ahead and shoot the approach and what have you. They That's- determined the 30 minutes is about the maximum amount of time that you can tie up an airport with some, you know, because you're trying to protect for him maneuvering around the airport Absolutely. so you don't bring somebody else in there. That's, That's that was the whole point. But the whole reason is to protect the airspace for him with no radio in order to perform and land safely. All right, before we get to tips for a better landing, question for Bill Stull. Uh, this listener writes in, uh, Dear High Flying, I want to practice precision power off 180s to landing in his Cessna. It was a 182. I'm not sure on the technique. He writes, after pulling the power to idle, I put in full trim and pull the prop all the way back. That makes a difference in his glide ratio and how he lands, but it could complicate a go-round. What do you endorse? What do you think? I think the first thing you should do with uh, that kind of description is go fly with a competent flight instructor and have them teach you the best way to handle that for your particular airplane. Pulling the prop all the way back and and trimming completely, you know. Uh, well, you trim, trim if you trim full. I mean, and you got to do a go around. You're going to have to untrim. Yes. And, and, and so what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a situation where you've got two points that are stressed to the max or potentially stressed to the max. It's going to make it significantly more difficult for you if you have to apply power and go around. All right, uh, CFIs have to teach new students how to land airplanes. So I'd like to go around the room here and start with Joel Weiner, my esteemed co-host. If you were going to give a new pilot, a new young, probably greener than green pilot, how to land this airplane on their first or second trip around the pattern, what is your best tip for them, Joel? Well, first thing, I don't try to teach them to land right off the bat. We're going to go out to the practice area, and I'm going to teach them how to f- slow flight. Okay. Fly and trim the airplane and fly it hands off. Okay. All right. And then we're going to climb to about 3,000 feet. We're going to set the trim up, put some flaps in, and we're going to descend down to 1,000 feet as you would approach the runway. All right. Um, the big thing is look out over the, the cowling and see where their eyes are looking. And some sometimes I need to put a little X on the dash with a little – Grease marker. Yeah. So that's where they're looking over the cowling. Yeah. Because sometimes they'll be wandering around looking different places. Right. Um, the next thing I would take them down and on the approach on the runway and get their sight picture um, and ride along with them and maybe not the first time, not do a landing, stay about five feet off the ground right. and, go, and then go around. Yeah. So they get that. Um, it's all about the sight picture and the speed. Have you ever had a pilot, a new pilot, student pilot, able to land that plane the first time around? Um, Other than Bob Cam? In the last 15 years with the simulators, the flight simulator programs, I've had students come out and be able to land it first day. Really? Bob has had one this last month. And he's already soloed and scheduled his check ride, and he hadn't been flying. It's show off. Yeah, Uh, well, you know, we didn't fail 11 times either, Jack. (laughs) What? Now, Bob, what is your best tip for uh, your new students? Now, you're a CFI. You're going to be an instrument-rated CFI here soon. 
That's got to, I mean, that's a big deal. You've gone from air traffic control, a relatively easy job, to, to going to flying airplanes with instrument ratings. You know, I'm making fun of that. You know, I don't mean that. Uh, but what, if you've got a new student, which you do have, what are your best tips for flying and landing those airplanes? I, I, Joel taught me speed uh, when you're coming into land. Speed is everything. Respect the speed. So um, that's the first thing. And I had you know, a guy who was having trouble with that last five feet. And so we did exact, Joel says, take him down to Cecil. It's 12,500 feet long. It's almost two and a half miles. And put him five feet above the runway all the way down the whole thing and don't right. let him land. Right. We did that maneuver. So he's looking down the far end of the runway, got him going there. And then we go around and we do that about three times and um, just in landing configuration. And then I said, all right, just pull the power. And he pulls the power and just, it just plops right on the ground. No big deal. And he goes, oh, my gosh. And it was that that was the moment yeah, that I've done that. Yeah. A dozen times. That was that was huge. That's that's a big thing we have here in Jacksonville. We've got a big runway that we can teach that. Yeah. It, and you could do that in any runway for the most part with some length. But right. it was that was my big one. Just you get people to look down the other runway because if you're looking at the the asphalt right there in front of the airplane, you're going to bounce it. You're going to do all sorts of crazy things you don't want to do in that airplane. Yeah. That's the big one. Look down the runway. But going down a 12,500-foot uh, um, runway at five feet or so above above uh, the landing surface, that's a difficult maneuver. Well, so the airplane performs a lot differently in that environment as well because you'd have less drag. And you're in ground effect there, Correct. too. Yes. Yeah. So you get, the, you get the student to feel that airplane in that environment, and then you just go right down the runway. And it's, it's a new experience, but as they do it a couple of times, they get more comfortable with it. And then you go, oh, and then they pull the power, and then they just kind of – it just puts it right on the ground. It's really kind of cool to watch. Now, in my experience with Joel, usually I'd pull power back right when I approached the end of the runway. Mm -hmm. And I didn't – in fact, it was already at idle as I'm crossing the numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, is that teach? Is that kind of teaching consistent? Well, or that's a pop and drop, and I had this discussion with somebody the other day. And, and so that is a very common technique when you come in and land. It's like, I got the runway made, pull the power to idle, and – but the plane will just start dropping toward the runway, and then you got to arrest the descent. Right. Just pull back and then flare and then land. If you got enough airspeed. Well, that's true, but respect to speed is where we go back speed to Speed is king, yes. Right. So, but and as you get into more higher-performance airplanes, you can't do that on some of the stuff Joel's having me fly. Now you got to hold power all the way into the runway, and then as you get the you know get ready to land, then you start yeah, pulling power. Weigh, you also weigh so, 8,000 pounds. Well, that's true, but it's a great technique to use now for the smaller planes. Just kind of hold more power in, and you're you're not going to just drop into the runway, and you can make a much nicer landing. And, and Jack, the way I was taught, my uncle when I was 10 years old, we in a J3 Cub, we parallel the numbers, pull the power back to auto and land. Yeah, and that was the rule: is if you if you're not within glide distance of a runway, don't pull the power back. Now, right. when you're in a 747, right. though, next time people are you're flying commercial and you're going into you know wherever, say Atlanta, or whatever, and Gar can talk about this is you'll hear these guys not pull power till they're in the runway and they start pulling power as before the as the mains are touching down, right? Well, you're, you're you make all, all power on landings yeah. basically, right. except for the last moment momentary as you flare, you're easing the power back. You never pull it sloppy back. Pull it, it's eased Easy. back. Yeah. And so you can go ahead and just uh, make a nice smooth landing, but when you got an aircraft that big, you uh, speed is king, and uh, there's power there, management. Is it's what we power call it. management and a stabilized approach. We, I mean, they harped on that having a stabilized approach from the middle mar from the outer marker in is probably the best way you can have a successful, nice landing and approach is have it stabilized. Once you get out of that stabilized 
air, uh, format, then you're trying to catch up. You're trying to get on glide slope. You're trying to get back on center line. You're trying to get the speed back down. You're trying to add power, whatever it is, and you're behind the eight ball. So uh, stabilized approach is the way to go, and you guys should be teaching that too, a stabilized approach from – for say the uh, outer marker in when they're coming in for la- for a landing or off the 180, make sure everything's stabilized. Also, well, when you're hitting right that now, pattern right about you know as you're coming into the pattern, you want to be that's right. But long before you even enter the pattern, you want to make sure you got things the way you want them. Yeah. You know, it is 9:49. You're listening to the High Flying Show. I'm Jack O'Brien with Garfield Benson, Bob Cam, Bill Stull, and my co-host Joel Weiner, commercial balloon pilots. Now need medicals. We'll chat about that after these words. Now back to the high flying skies with Jack O'Brien and the Wiener, presented by your First Coast Honda dealers. Welcome back to the High Flying Show. It is uh, nine fifty three on this Sunday morning. How's the flying weather this morning, Joel? Is it? It's a little overcast. Yeah, but, uh, but uh, a little uh, dreary. But right, I'm flying ahead. this afternoon. What about a VFR pilot? Can he go out this yeah, morning? Just yeah, just stay. You know, thirty five hundred feet. Mm-hmm. Go for right. a nice cruise. A little bit of rain coming this way, but it'll yeah. be quick. Yeah. I it's not a good day to take the convertible out. No, probably not. Well, it was raining in my neck of town when I came in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's sprinkling. Yep. I mentioned before the break that commercial balloon pilots now need medicals. The FAA says so, and they're now requiring commercial balloon pilots to have a current second-class medical to fly passengers. You asked me before the show started about my situation because I recently had a pacemaker installed. What would be my um, uh, situation about getting a medical renewed now? I've got to look that up, but you've got to do a stress test, and there's so many months you have to do and some blood work. Yeah. Um, But there are people that fly with pacemakers. Well, one thing's for sure, my ticker's ticking pretty good now instead of... uh, But but you you need a third-class medical, and you have to do some stress tests and... It, it's a uh, there's some paperwork involved. Well, I would prefer to fly with somebody with me anyway, so I wouldn't need a medical if I did that, That's right? Very no, true. You can ride with the wiener at any time. All right, uh, the high flying plane of the month, Gar. You could probably re- recollect the De Havilland Comet, right? Oh yeah, yeah. The yeah. De Havilland Comet, regarded as the trailblazer by aviation historians. I tell um, you, that aircraft was uh, remarkable when it went, and uh, the British were way ahead of us on uh, developing a jet airplane and it was it was world renowned when it happened it was really something to the what jet year airplane did that come out jack i don't know uh, but it was the first jet powered passenger plane in the early early 50s yeah yeah because yeah. uh, the the uh, 707 came off the line uh, in uh, 1959 or so i believe gar was already flying for northwest for about 30 years by that time. Po- possibly yeah, possibly yes, yes. Yeah. I, I i'm sold i can't do the math now but you might be right the giant Metrowave radio telescope in India has captured a signal, a radio signal, nine billion light years away from Earth. Um, I've, Space.com reported this the other day. It was detected by a unique wavelength known as the 21-centimeter line. So there's somebody out there in the universe of outer space uh, shooting us some radio uh, I, I read that article, and uh, boys, I tell you what, I can't buy onto that. The article's been decoded. We actually now know what the message reads. And, and what was that, Bill? It says, "Do not look at the green comet." <laughs> <laughs> 
years from now, some poor astronomer <laughs> far away in the galaxy is going to hear the high-flying show and wonder what the heck we're talking about. Yeah, yes. those morons are talking about little planes flying only a couple of thousand feet above. A couple things before we adjourn this morning. It's about four minutes till the top of the hour. Uh, the AOPA, the Airline Owners and Pilots Association, which is a very fine organization. I imagine you guys are all members of that organization. Uh, they recommend that there are five basic elements to a pilot to maintain their, um, whether it's a, uh, I guess the way to phrase this is that these are the, the main things pilots should be concerned about before they go up in an airplane. And one of them is, for starters, fuel. And how many times have you seen where a pilot has an accident based on the fact they aren't sure whether the quality of the fuel is right or the quantity is right? There are three people every week in the United States that run out of gas. Or mismanage their gas that they have on board. Yeah. Idiots. Yeah. But it happens all the time. Another event that, that you I know were, a few of them personally. We should, <laughs> oh, good. No we wonder. Should, Bob Kale, that's he why he was all uh, sitting around the table. No, I'm right the one now. that has to do the rehabilitation training and slap them and ask them why they didn't stop and get gas at the airport they just passed and the one they passed before that. How about get home itis? Have you ever heard that terminology? Yeah. Well, another thing is they forget to flip the switch from, uh, from left one. to right. That's and, another and, one. You know that could be that could be detrimental to your health. Uh, weather concerns are also, according to the AOPA, one of the main problems for pilots these days is that they're not they're unsure. Their their go no go decisions are sometimes thwarted the, by weather situations. The weather is the number one change in aviation. Ch- changes every day. Yeah. The wind. The rain, and that's why to be to go to Alaska, they won't even insure you to fly in Alaska unless you got two years' experience flying under. I'll be working the stall competition Alaska in May. By the way, yeah, that's right. He's going to Valdez in May. Well, bully for you. Yeah, well, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Um, he's always good jobs. (laughs) Reno Air Races, Oshkosh. Another big problem for pilots is they don't plan right. They don't plan accordingly. Uh, when you're doing a cross-country bill, for example, you're doing a cross-country from here, say, to uh, Pensacola. Yep. Um, that the VFR pilots, visual flight rules guys that fly by the seat of their pants looking out the window, those are the guys that don't plan correctly, don't see the weather coming at them. What do you think about that? Who said that? AOPA says AOPA that? says that's a big concern of, of young uh, green pilots is that they don't plan right. It, it, well, inadequate planning is also a very major leading cause of accidents. Weather yeah. is something to absolutely be respected, and that's why we've mentioned it twice in this top three list of AOPA things. I want to say this real quick. In the background, you're hearing the, the instrumental to Eight Miles High by the Birds. Jeff Beck passed away a couple of days ago, and he was the one of the lead guitarists. It was the lead guitarist for the Birds back in those days. Uh, So uh, rest in peace to Jeff Beck. Thanks to my uh, pilots in the room, Garfield Benson, Bob Cam, Bill Stull. John Nafak was not here, but we we appreciate his help with Ascent Aviation. And my co-host, Mr. Joel Wiener. The Wiener. We will see everybody on February the 12th, Sunday, February 12th. Have a great Sunday. Enjoy the football games and adios, muchachos.